But anyway, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And the word Advent means the arrival of, of a notable person or a thing or event. And, and we most often use this word now to mean Advent season, Advent Sunday, Advent wreath, Advent candles. And, and beginning today and continuing every Sunday until Christmas Day, we, we prepare ourselves for the birth of Christ. We light the Advent candles and we read a short devotion, as Terry did this morning, about the themes of each week. Hope, peace, love, and joy. And as we were talking about building God's kingdom here, and we talked about some of these stones, we heard what Jesus' presence brought. And it was these same, very same things. And next Sunday, we're going to dive a little deeper into the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' birth and life on earth, and, and most of which are found in the book of Isaiah. And it won't be a, a scholarly lesson, but it'll be a fun reminder of all these things that God has promised and, and, and some specific ones regarding Christ and Christmas that were fulfilled. And we'll kind of talk about how we can, we can see that in other areas too. But we can agree that Jesus led a life of influence. I mean, not just because of who he was, but more so because of what he said and what he did during this short period of teaching. You know, this is just approximately a three-year period, generally agreed to be three-year period uh, of life, of a, about a 30-year life. And, and it's still being discussed, right? And, and we're still revering these three years. And, and we're still serving, using them as, as serving an example. And here we are over 2,000 years later of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And, and even those who don't believe are still influenced by it. I mean, all the way down to the core beliefs of our government, of, of what society knows is right and wrong, because that stuff is in you, you know? You know, the rules maybe on tablets of, of stone, but, but anybody knows that thou shalt not murder, you know? God wrote these things on our heart. He had to put them in writing because we're just dense sometimes. But even those who claim to not know God or not know Christ are still his children and are still influenced by who he is. And my friends, that is a life of influence. And, and you may not draw a large crowd every time you speak. and You may not have a group of 12 core people that, that hang on every word or hang at your side. I mean, we're lucky if we get our kids to, to listen to two-thirds of what we say sometimes. But even though we are not God incarnate as Jesus is, we are God's children and just like Jesus, the people around you see what you do and see what and hear what you say. And it's been a while since I brought a hand out to church. I don't know if you remember, we had the bubble gum one Sunday. We we're talking about, um, oh, what was it? The uh, kind of like the Mythbusters of the Bible, the things that people think are the Bible that aren't. And I, that was one of the ones that we did. We did Pop Rocks when we talked about finding joy. I will never forget Irene Sock still sitting in the back row with her mouth open with the Pop Rocks. You guys miss a lot of the, the things that go on behind you when you're sitting in the church. But she's in the back, you know, just popping. It was hilarious. Uh, puzzle pieces to remind us how we all fit together. Uh, the hand-braided three-corded lanyard when I, about a year ago when I did the, uh, the court of three. And, and I was really proud of that. I mean, I remember staying up, you know, weaving these things. My daughter couldn't teach me how to braid. I still can't braid. But I made 50 lanyards that Sunday. I still have mine. Anyway, so I thought it'd be a good time to go ahead and get one of these out. Now, now since we live a life of influence, and I want to remind you that everything that you do and say is seen by all, I wanted to get every one of you a goldfish in a jar. Just don't worry, I'm not sitting at home with you. And I thought, what a stupid idea. I mean, because number one, I don't even know where to get a goldfish anymore. I used to be able to get them at Walmart. I didn't, do they even have the aquariums in the Walmart anymore? No. Oh. 
No, so you, so you can't even get a goldfish. I thought, what a stupid idea. Not, not the fish idea, because that's genius, but the goldfish. Because here we are next to an amazing lake. I will catch every single one of my friends a little bluegill, because that's the only kind of fish I can ever catch, little bluegills. <laughs> anyway, I, I decided against that. Um, and, and you're welcome. I can imagine walking out of here with jars of goldfish. We, I can't even get us. I, I can't even get. <laughs> I can't even get green beans here without spilling in the car. <laughs> anyway, I was. I was. Um, I wasn't going to allow that to discourage me. But but though I, I want this to serve as a visual as we talk, okay? Um, about what that means that you're they're living their life and everything they do is is seen from all sides because that's kind of how we live, like it or not. That's how we live. And and whatever you're going through in your life, whatever struggle, temptation, or sin you face. You know, or the good stuff, it's seen by all, right? And, and the good news is we can find a reference in God's word, the Bible here, of someone who's gone through something similar. And, and better than that, something to help guide us. And as, even as we consider the influence a person has, we can find people who've used their influence, you know, what other people see, for good, and some that have not. And I want to start with a couple that have nots, okay? Um, in the very first book of the Bible, we have the story of Adam and Eve. And if you wanted to find it, Genesis 3, 1 through 6 is, is kind of some of the story of that. And we know that, that God made a helper. God made a helper for Adam. And this is Eve. And, and here's what we read. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, that's, that's how Satan works. He's, he likes to pick at the little the loopholes and stuff that he anticipates are there. God's word is pretty straightforward. But he says, did he really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. The serpent, now the serpent's not just manipulating his lie. He says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, the serpent certainly had influence, right? It, it tried to reason with her. And the woman's Eve certainly had influence because her, her husband, her, the man, Adam, you know, there was an element of trust and, and there was influence. So in this case, the influence wasn't necessarily for, for good. But another person who used their influence, maybe not such a good way, was Delilah. Do you remember the story of Samson and Delilah? We don't talk a lot about that as adults, but in, maybe in Sunday school, you remember Samson was all the strength came from his hair. And this story is found in Judges, uh, particularly in Judges 16. And we read how Samson, who loved Delilah, I mean, it said he absolutely loved her without question. And he was influenced in sharing the secret of his strength. And listen to this. It, uh, this is starting in verse 14. It says, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now, subdued. Now she's being influenced by her desire for money. Now he answers her. He's being influenced by his love for her and his trust. Samson answered, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. So she does this. She basically falls asleep and she does this. And the Philistines come in. 
and he breaks free and, and is fine, okay? So I skip ahead to verse 10. It says, Delilah said to Samson, you made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come on now, tell me how you can be tied. Now, I would be sure going, huh, I wonder why this is so important. And, um, and then so he said, if anyone tries to tire me with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become weak. And again, this happens. And again, she, she gets mad and says, you lied to me. And he still tells her the truth or tells her an answer. He says, this time in chest, he says, if you weave seven braids from my head in the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pen, I'll become weak. And again, he overpowers them. And then she says to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. See, that's scriptural. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. I'm a stupid microphone. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God for my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And we know that's what happens. But let me share a positive story of influence. The story of Jacob and, and Leah and Rachel. And it's found in Genesis 29. And I'm, and I'm going to start around verse 16 is where I'm going to refer to. But Laban had two daughters. And the older was Leah and the younger was Rachel. And it says Leah was, had weak eyes. Now, that's just a really nice biblical way of saying she was probably just a good cook. Because that's about all she had to offer. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So there's the contrast that helps you. Jacob was in love with Rachel, the younger attractive daughter, and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. You know, he's saying, I love her so much. I will become your slave for seven years. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. So Jacob served for seven years just so he could marry Rachel. But at the end of the seven years, when Jacob comes and says, my time is completed, Laban brought the other lady, Leah, brought Leah. And he was tricked. And he, but he loved Rachel so much when Laban said, oh, fine, seven more years. And he said, I'll do it. He said, I'll do it. And, and it just shows that you can be influenced by your love for someone to be dedicated to do that, to serve 14 years a slave for the love of a woman. <laughs> We also find the story of Ruth, who is known for her displays of selfless compassion. And, and when we're first introduced, we're, we're here of her mother, Naomi, and she has a sister named Orpah. And here's a little fun fact. Does that name sound familiar? Do you guys know the story of Orpah? Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be named Orpah. That's, that's absolutely true. And, and there was, I don't know what the confusion was, but she was named Oprah instead of Orpah. They had a couple of names transposed. But Orpah is a biblical name. It is... Ruth's sister, daughter of Naomi. But the, they were in hard times. Atlanta were in hard times. And, and the mother, Naomi, said, guys, save yourselves. Go, you know, go to a land, you know, take care of yourselves. Get everything you need. And it says, but Ruth replied, this is verse 16 of the first book of Ruth. It says, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if even death separates from you from me. And they said, when Naomi, the mother, realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. That's commitment for family. And don't think for a second that the other sister didn't see the importance of that. And perhaps you're, you're familiar with the story of Esther. Esther 
uh, was a Jewish wife, and she became the, the wife of King Xerxes. And um, it, it's, it's, I'll start with this a little bit of history. Is in that time, you were, you were basically sent off for, I think it was 12 years. I don't see where I wrote that down, but to be trained how to be, you know, in the, the harem, I guess we'll say, for King Xerxes. I'll start at Esther 2, 17 through 18. He says, now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of, of Vashti. And the king gave her a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Now this was a woman who influenced this king. It says with her beauty, but you know, you know, she was, she was of, of character that the king was absolutely attracted to her over any other woman. In Esther 5, 3, it says, Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to the half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Now you can make jokes about divorce and getting half if you want. But, um, but anyway, she, she had become, got so much stature and influence over him, he was willing to give her half of everything. And, if we, and he was planning to destroy her people, the Jewish people. And so when Esther, Esther 8, 3 through 6, we hear this. She comes to him, and she only wants one thing. It says, Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, the agitite, with which he devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she rose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches. Devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? Okay, she's used her influence to save people. We've looked at a handful of women of influence in the Bible. Is anyone surprised that women have strong influence? No, no. There, there's the movie Big Fat Greek Wedding. I don't know if you remember this. But there's a scene where the mother says, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck that turns the head. I mean, isn't that pretty accurate? And as silly as that may sound, there's some truth to it. It's, and it's important that we all as men and women alike recognize the influence that, that we have between ourselves and each other and, and particularly the wives and mothers because we're responsible for how we, we use that influence and how we respond to it. Okay? And there's biblical principles on, on how this is to be done, a story for another time. But just a couple more examples. And this one kind of refers back to the, the scripture, remember, that Terry read this morning. It's about Daniel. So I'm just going to read the very first part of Daniel 1, which um, kind of gives us the backstory. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So he came to town and, and, and just basically ravaged it. And the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple that he carried off. But listen to this. He, he basically, he said, go in there and find all the young men. It describes them as young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was supposed to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And they did this for a period of years to get them trained up. These were kids that were captured, taken slave. Okay? And among them was Daniel. The thing is this, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. He, he cherished these people. He was going to raise them right because they were going to be his advisors. These are going to be the learned, the, all that. And so they got the, the good food and the good wine. And it says, starting at verse 6, Among those who were chosen from Judea was Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief gave them new names. Now you'll recognize these. Daniel became Balthazar. Hananiah became Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. And of course, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. He didn't need that lavish stuff. His, his law, his king, who's God, said you only eat certain things, you do not eat certain things. But the official told Daniel, he said, I'm afraid of the king, he's going to get really mad. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but Daniel said to the guard, and he made him a deal. He said, let us do eat what we're going to eat for 10 days. You, you feed the others, but let us do, and he said, water and vegetables only. And maybe you've heard a reference to a thing called the Daniel diet. It's based on this verse. He says, we'll do vegetables and, and water for 10 days, and we'll see. We'll see who looks better. And then starting at verse 15, it says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine to drink and gave them vegetables instead. They were faithful to their, to their, with their law, what they understood God to want from them. Okay? And this is already influencing the official who was responsible for them because now he's submitting to their request because he's been influenced saying, you're right, being influenced by that. And this is the verse we read from earlier. It says, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, this period of years, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. He said, these were perfect for what I need. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the musicians, enchanters in his whole kingdom. So what's interesting is Nebuchadnezzar had a bad dream, a bad dream that he knew something terrible was gonna happen. It was terrifying, but he had all these wise people, in air quotes, that he was going to have help. You know, he, that he'd, he'd trained up, raised up, and they, he called them musicians, magicians, sorcerers, um, and, and he, he called them in, and every single one of them couldn't answer. And they would actually say things to the king like, well, how am I supposed to know what it means if you don't tell me what the dream is? And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was saying, well, you're the magician. You tell me. And so he decided to have them all killed. He said, this is ridiculous. I'm furious. I'm going to have them all killed. And you may have heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace because he was going to be. And, and he said, I won't get into that much, but the king was amazed that they, they survived because of their God. But the other thing was Daniel made a deal with the king and he said, I'll tell you, you know, if you free these other people, he's not going to save his own skin. He's going to save everybody's skin. He said, I'll tell you what it means. Not only that, I'll tell you what you dreamt. And he did. And, and at the end, it says this, the King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. It means he laid all the way down and paid him honor and order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. So you were able to reveal this mystery. And then it says the king placed Daniel in the high position and, and gave um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego province over Babylon. Influenced by their faith, influenced by their God-given talents to the, the point that this king who was ready to kill everybody because he was so great was bowing down prostrate to them. And just one more example, and that's Job. Now, I don't have to tell you necessarily the whole story of Job, but I, I love to, but it's, it's an encouraging read, but at the same time, not, okay? Job is, Satan had, had roamed the earth and found no one, you know, basically the, the world was a, a disaster. And God said, well, what about my man, Job? 
Job is, is just impeccable with his faith. He was a man of God and he was well-blessed. And, and then Satan says, well, God, that's because you gave him so much. Anybody who has a punch thanks God, right? I mean, don't we even do that sometimes? When things are good, we're like, yeah. So, so God said, okay, I'll make you a deal. You can do whatever you want to him aside from killing him. The rest is fair game. Now, this doesn't sound very fair. This doesn't seem like the God I know, but listen to the story, okay? I'm not going to read it word for word, but, but Satan took away his, his kids and he took away his, his land and his livestock and he took away his wife and, 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 and then he gave him source over his body. He was in such pain. And, and the verse, I'll just at least pull one of these out here. Uh, you know, at, at the very beginning when he started losing stuff, his, his wife said, disown God. You know, he's not protecting you. Just no. And he says, no, no, I will. He says, as Job got up and tore his robes. He shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from the mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave me. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Wow. And all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Okay. And then this is when, this is when Satan came back and, and took so much more from him. And he had friends that show, who showed up. And they're even saying, Job, enough, enough. Just tell God, no thanks. You know, say, why are you doing this to me? And Job said, would not do it. And that became such a powerful testimony and influence to, to his friends that said, God is with me. God is not the wrongdoing. He may have allowed this. We don't understand it. So it, it may not be that encouragement story, but there's faith in the in adversity like this is possible. And that's Paul. Paul, who this, this reluctant apostle, because he, he was persecuting Christians. He was, you know, a devout teacher of the Jewish law. But God opened his eyes literally. Good story. But anyway, but if you look at the New Testament, 27 books of the New Testament, 14 of the 27 are written by Paul. This man who says, I'm not that good at speaking. Yet he wrote 14 letters to some to individuals, some to what we call churches in various places like Galatia, Galatians, you know, places like that. And they're so powerful. We read from every Sunday. But anyway, this morning we've looked at a couple examples from the Bible. I really want you to dive into some more. And they show how common people have found profound influence on those around them. And these aren't extravagant answer examples. These aren't something wild and crazy. I mean, like Paul, you can influence others with words of encouragement. Write a letter, write a card, sign the thing for Patrick. Do an Apostle Paul thing and, and, and let him know that it's making a difference, what he's doing. Calls of accountability. Paul was really good about calling out people if they were off track. You know, we can do that like Paul. We can be constant reminders of God's love for others. Like Job, you can influence others by holding tightly to your faith, even in times of adversity. Like Jacob and Samson, you can love and trust and make sacrifices for your spouse so that others can be influenced by your commitment to your marriage. And don't think for a second your kids aren't noticing. Like Ruth, you can influence others with your unrelenting commitment to family. And of course, like Jesus, you can influence others with your love, joy, peace, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and I'll throw that last one in because we know we need it, self-control. So you remember the fishbowl example. With the exception of Jesus and Paul, most of the people we're talking about weren't seeking to influence others. Now, Jesus was and Paul was, 
But the other ones, their influence is just a byproduct of godly living. So I'm just going to share just a brief example. Would you go ahead and click just a, one minute of this next song? One more. There you go. Just give it, give it 30 seconds. It's not true. It's a fire. I'm not going to... song beautiful voice amazing voice Enya is the lady who's singing that were anybody kind of inclined to sing along I mean you'd love to right but what's the problem no they were she was singing the whole time she was she was singing the whole time but it's interesting because a lot of people will literally kind of lean forward I like watching you guys and and I love this because I'm like what is she saying what is she saying she sings in 10 different languages she's an amazingly talented singer and she's often sung in more than one language in a song. That was Gaelic. See, that, there was an English version of that too. But I wanted to prove the reference. When you hear something that's pleasant, desirable, beautiful, you want to lean in and hear what they're saying. You want to lean in and maybe even sing along. You didn't have to know the word that song to know there's something pleasant about it, right? That's what living a life of godly influence is like. People will lean in to try to understand what you're saying, even when you're not speaking words at all. And my prayer for all of us during this Advent season and beyond that is that we, our lives, that we live our lives such that people find us pleasant because of our love and joy and peace and kindness and all these things that we, we know supposed to live so that they want to experience it for themselves. That's what we should be trying to do. That is living a life of influence. So let's resolve to be God's children who are godly influence as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the examples in your word of people of influence, some who've sought to influence others by, by intentionally teaching and those who just lived a godly life. And you can look at that and say, what a woman of character, what a man of integrity. God, help us to, to live in a way that influences others, in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, that replicates you as we studied last week on, on building your kingdom here, this is how we're gonna do it, by influencing those around us, starting with those in our family and going out. Lord, as we continue in this Advent season, may our focus be on you, on the wonderful gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this planet to not condemn it, but to save it. Lord, now there's a path to salvation that we all seek. We thank you for that, amen.